Welcome to Harvest Valley Worship Center's Sermon of the Week. You can discover more about our church, pastors, and special guests at hvwc.com. We hope that you are blessed by today's message. I just wanted to share a couple of things this morning as we are celebrating the birth of Christ. Many of us know that... um, He's the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the one that came in the flesh, God in the flesh, God in the flesh, like the living, breathing God, not, um, not just a good teacher, not just somebody who would direct the world um, to towards love, peace, and happiness. As many would like us to believe, that is not why he came, even though that might be the fruit. Right? He came to redeem a broken world. And we all, unfortunately, each one of us get to experience the brokenness of this world in many different ways that we wish we didn't have to. Right? We wish we didn't have to experience the brokenness of this world. And yet we do. Jesus came to bring a solution, God's solution. And for many people today, they don't even trust the history that Jesus was real, much less that he came and was born of a virgin and, and these leap of faith concepts to us, right? Like, okay, born of a virgin, impossible, right? That's not a, that's not a human thing. That's a God thing. That's a divine supernatural thing. We think about somebody rising from the dead. That is a supernatural thing. So how can we trust that these things are true? And I think it's a great question to ask, right? How do we know? Well, for many of us, we know it's true because something happened in us. We had this encounter with the love of God. We had encounter with forgiveness of sin. We had encounter with God. And now we've developed a relationship with God that says, yeah, that's real. It's true. But there's also some other means through which God wanted to make sure for us to know that these events actually happened. We must come back to the truth. Can I just say? One of the things that I think is going to be really important for every believer is to come back to the truth that this is a divinely inspired book. Um, Not everybody believes that the Bible is real or true. It's easy to find. uh, If you want to pick something apart, go for it. It's been being picked apart for thousands of years. Um, It's been being deconstructed for a long time, okay? Like, um, uh, that, that's true. But it doesn't change some amazing things that give it credence and give it relevance. I think if we lose faith in the Scriptures, we lose faith in God. The Word of God is our foundation. It is revelation, and it is the instruction manual for living. One of the ways that we know that the Bible was divinely inspired Right? Isn't that Jesus is not just a story in the Bible, is Bible prophecy. This is one of the greatest things, and I absolutely love Bible prophecy. What, what a Bible prophecy is, is that somebody inspired by God wrote something down about the future in the Bible. And then it came true. 
like hundreds and if not thousands of years later, it came true. Now, there are some things you can kind of be like, oh, you could take that verse to mean anything, right? Like there's some, some like they say that Jesus fulfilled 118 prophecies in the Old Testament, which is a lot. It's a lot. But some of them, I'm like, yeah, was that really talking about the Messiah? I don't know. You know, some of them, I'm like, you're kind of reading into it. But I wanted to go over a couple about the birth of Jesus that I think what might allow us the opportunity to recognize that the scriptures are accurate and they are true. And I think, like, this is one of the things that I absolutely love to study. The actual study of scripture in terms of its authenticity and to be able to, to know that it's, that it's accurate and true and to be able to say, here's why we know the Bible is true is a study called apologetics, right? There's this study where you can actually find out all the answers to all the questions that you've had philosophically, questions that you've had spiritually, questions you've had about the authenticity of the scriptures is called apologetics. It's one of the favorite things for me to study. Um, and I want us to take a moment to just look at a few of these. See, during his lifetime, Jesus fulfilled hundreds of biblical prophecies. Many of them were strikingly specific, right? Like, this guy's going to raise from the dead. That's pretty specific, right? Um, and that was in Psalm 16, 8 through 11. It talks about that. Healing the sick, Isaiah 53, which we'll talk about in just a moment. Starting his ministry after a prophet goes before him and paves the way is in Malachi chapter 4. So statistically speaking, fulfilling these hundreds of prophecies is nearly impossible. Um, if he fulfilled eight prophecies, this was the, the statistics. If Jesus only fulfilled eight specific prophecies, it's one, if for you data people, it's one times 10 to the 17th power is the statistical chance that he fulfilled eight. And there's hundreds, but just for him to fulfill eight so if you were to visualize that, you would take the entire state of Texas, okay, big, right? Picture it on the map, Texas. Anybody ever been to Texas? You can't see one end of Texas from the other, okay? It's big, right? You can't stand at the top of the tallest building in Dallas and see the ocean, right? But it goes all the way from ocean <laughs> to Mexico, like it's big. Here's the thing. You would take the entire state of Texas and you would fill it up, not, don't miss an inch, with two feet deep in silver dollars. The whole state, two feet deep in silver dollars. Go up in a helicopter, mark one with some nail polish, a little red X on it, okay? Go up somewhere, wing it out the window, and then drop somebody somewhere in the state of Texas, blindfold them, and give them one chance to pick it. That's the odds that Jesus would fulfill the prophecies. That's just eight. And he fulfills hundreds. There's a divine, there's a divine reality that Jesus came and fulfilled these prophecies. So um, first one, obviously, he was born in Bethlehem. That's Micah 5, verse 2, right? 
the Messiah would come out. Micah 5, 2 says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. That's a phrase about God, right? So that God would be born in Bethlehem. That's prophesied in Micah 5, 2, right? It was a very small town near Jerusalem, right? It was considered, considered nowhere, right? And we see this just as uh, Lois just read that in Luke 2. Then we see uh, that he would be born of a virgin, right? Perhaps this is the most astounding prophecy about Jesus' birth, right? Isaiah 7, 14 says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, no other baby in human history has ever been born of a virgin. Not even in, like, folklore tales. Um, you know, it's crazy. Um, just a little side note. If you ever study, like, ancient, ancient stars, the virgin birth was something that was talked about across all of every single, every single um, um, type of of culture across the world. And there was actually, everyone would see the same set of stars from all over the world. And they said, that signifies the virgin birth. It was actually prophesied in the stars, right? And they would always look for, look for that sign. So it's a universal from, if you believe God created us, it's a universal design feature <laughs> that we would all look for this event. The angel Gabriel, of course, appeared and, and, and let him know that you will call the child holy, the son of God, Emmanuel. Now we see in, um, obviously, he'd be in the right descendant line of Abraham and David. That's pretty cool. He nailed that. One of the other ones that we're not going to talk about today, but it was prophesied that there would be a murder of children in Beth from Bethlehem. Right, And that was in Jeremiah. Right, Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Ramah was a Benjamite, right? And he lived in a town right next to Bethlehem. So in that whole in that whole region was was considered Ramah back in the old, back in that day. So it's actually the same region that Jesus was born out of, of women crying because their children were killed. We know that Herod, um, afraid of of Jesus or the Messiah being born in Bethlehem, commanded his men to kill all boys two years old and younger in that area. And that's in Matthew two sixteen. Uh, he also lived in Egypt for a time. There was going to be a star in the sky that would point directly to his birthplace, which we know that the wise men came. And in fact, the wise men, the kings from the east, were prophesied. Did you know that? It says, May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the Croslands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. And these are all, Sheba and Seba are kings from the east. Come and bring gifts to the Messiah. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. You know, I, 
I think it's important to know that you can trust what you read, not outside of just your encounter and your experience. It's ultimately the encounter that changes your life. It's not just about understanding that the scriptures are real that changes your life. It helps <laughs> to know you can trust it, and yet it's your encounter with God that changes your life. It's this encounter that we have with a living, risen Jesus. That is what changes our life. And for many of us, we've known about God in our mind. We've known about God in our head. We even maybe know Scripture really well, but we've never had that encounter with the one who came to save us. The question is, what did he come to save us from? Well, he came to save us from ourselves, from our sin, from our failures, from our faults, from our brokenness. That was not God's plan. That was not God's design. But God was aware that if he gave us choice, it was going to happen. So before the creation of the world, he made a way so that all of mankind might know him deeply and personally. He wanted it to go back to that Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve walked with him in the cool of the day, was able to commune with him and talk with him and experience all that he had for them. And he knew that when sin entered in, that wasn't going to be possible anymore because there were consequences to the sin. And yet, in Jesus, he said, I will heal you, I will redeem you, and I will bring you back so that you can know me. Imagine that you had a creator that knew all the great things for your life, that knew exactly the best things for your life, that knew that, that the route that your life should go, that knew how you would best be fulfilled and satisfied in the, deeps, in the depths of your heart, in the deepest part of who you are. He knows the thing that if you do this, you're going to be the most joyous, the most fulfilled, the most satisfied. And he also knows the things that are going to steal from you, that are going to rob you of joy, that are going to cause pain, that are going to cause hurt. And in all of that, he knows you. And because he knows you, he actually made a way for you to overcome every single thing that has brought pain, death, and destruction into your life. See, he knew you before you were born, and he created you with purpose and with intention. He's here to heal the wounds this morning. And he's here to walk with you as you struggle. Not just take it all away. He's here to walk with you as you fight for those things that are good and holy and right. Mika wrote, uh, Mika read earlier Isaiah 9 6. She didn't write the book of Isaiah. That's weird. Uh, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. With that, I'd like for us to take communion today. Because the way that he made a way for us in our brokenness is that him being holy came, died on the cross, perfect and sinless. And it's in that place of death that he took the punishment 
for every sin, every failure, every part of brokenness in this world. He took it all on him. And it's in this place that we celebrate his death and his resurrection. Because he was holy, he, death could not hold him. Because he was righteous and, and the whole world had to deal with sin. This is so important. He was born of a virgin. What this means is that when the Spirit conceived Jesus in Mary's womb, it gave him a capacity to carry forth a holy lineage without the curse in him. Oh, come on. Without that curse in him, so he could live holy, defeating death and defeating sin. And that's why he was able to rise from the dead, which is the resurrection of Jesus is a more proven fact than his, the virgin birth is. And if you're curious about those questions and those statements and you want to talk about those, I'm happy to point you to the resources. So if you'll come and grab the bread and the cup, uh, we will um, then come together, take communion as we close out our time today. If you come together as families, and if you're not comfortable taking communion, there's no pressure, you don't have to. I want to read you one more prophecy as we celebrate the body and the blood of Jesus. It says in Isaiah 53, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. As we look at the bread, we, that was written 700 years before Jesus lived. It's pretty powerful. At the Last Supper, Jesus knowing it was his last opportunity to be with his disciples. At the table, he broke bread and passed it around, and they each took a piece of the bread, and they looked at it. And this is a very similar cracker because it's, it's pierced. It's got the holes in it. It's not leavened. There's no, like, one of the comparisons in the Bible is sin and, and leaven, Right? So there's no sin, and, and, and it got pierced through. There's a bunch of other cool symbolism in the bread, but the perfect king, the perfect man came and gave his life for us. And he looked at his disciples, and he said, eat the bread in remembrance of me, and let's partake together. Jesus then took the cup and he passed the cup around to the disciples and he said, this is my blood, represents my blood that is shed for you. He hadn't died yet, but he knew what was coming. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. 
This is my blood that is shed for you for the remission of sins so that sin will no longer have power over your life. And we need to remember that. His blood makes a way for every sin you struggle with, for every trial that you're going through. His blood makes a way for you to be able to go through that holy. The Holy Spirit, I love it. He sent the Holy Spirit as our comforter. And we get to receive comfort from God because of the new covenant in his blood. So he said, take, drink, and do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake. For each of you, I want to give you an opportunity now, and we're going to close with our last song. I want to give you an opportunity to, as I've been speaking, I feel as though some of you have go, yeah, I've heard it all before, and, I, and, I, and I've never had that encounter with God. I've never had that encounter with God that you're talking about, Chris. Um, I, I, I don't even know if the Bible's true, but I know that if God met me here right now, if, if I met God right now, like if he came to me and said, yes, here I am, I'm real, then I would believe. I would, if I met God, I would believe. And I, I, I just feel like he's here to meet you right now. So if we'd all stand. I'm going to pray. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes and we just invite you Holy Spirit to come Jesus thank you for this amazing day as we celebrate your birth the Savior of the world who came to take away our sin and the brokenness of this world and we ask God that you would show up right now that you would encounter in the hearts of each person here with the love that only you have for us as our creator, as our loving creator, you've longed for us to know you. So God, I'm asking that each person would know you today. That you would just whisper or, or let them feel you in a feeling or they would hear you in their mind or in their hearts. That they would ask, God, if you're real, will you, will you speak to me? It's an invitation for you to walk with God. To walk with God. Life has been deeply dissatisfying for many of us. And true satisfaction comes from knowing the Creator. So God, if you're real, I just hear you pray it right now. Just pray it in your own head. God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. Thank you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Do what only you can do.
Thank you for joining us today. Harvest Valley Worship Center is called to be a refuge for healing and a launch pad for transformation. If this message impacted you today, please let us know in a comment, or you can email us at media at hvwc.com. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to connecting with you.